Please open your Bibles up now to 2 Peter, and we're going to be reading chapter 2. Finally made it into chapter 2, verses 1 through to verse 11. So 2 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words, For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh In the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, as we study this word this morning, we see the true danger of false teachers presented to us. We pray, Lord God, that you might keep each and every one of us safe from such destructive heresy, from wrong teaching about you. And for myself, I pray, O God, that this morning you would especially use me to teach faithfully in light of what we have just read. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we, as I said, we've finally reached the second chapter of 2 Peter. It took four, chapter, four sermons to get through chapter 1. We'll move a little bit quicker through chapter 2, but we are going to cover this over two weeks. This morning we're looking at the the reality of false teachers uh, from verses 1 to 11, and then next week we'll go from verse 12 through to the end of the chapter as we look at characteristics of false teachers. And this is a sermon which has caused me to be spending a lot of time in prayer this week. When you preach on false preachers... It drives you to prayer and to searching the Bible a lot during the week. It's not a particularly comfortable topic for us to look at. And the reality of these things is one which should make each and every one of us squirm. That people would misuse scripture, that people would would seek to lead others into darkness and destruction is a terrible thing. It's not something that should make us comfortable, but we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of the risks and the dangers as well as, as we said, next week as we look at the characteristics of that. Now, this morning we are looking at three points. Uh, Firstly, we're looking at the 
the fact that false teachers are inbound. There will be false teachers in the church. Secondly, we see the judgment that is reserved for those who stray from the truth. And then thirdly, we have this question, what about those who are righteous? We'll deal with them in turn. So first we'll start off with uh, point one, that there are false teachers inbound. Now, while this is very closely linked to what Peter said before, I've spoken over the last few weeks about why Peter is setting things up the way he has, because there are these dangers we see in chapter 2 of false teachers and destructive doctrines. Peter has really set things up to establish us on the Word of God and what the Word of God at work in the Christian looks like with those characteristics, particularly verses 5 to 7 of chapter 1. But as tight as the, 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 each part of this letter is, chapter 2 begins us with this new theme. Having established Christians in the truth, Peter then moves to warn Christians of dangers that are taking place. We need a concrete, reliable source in the face of this. We have scripture, but now we have the threat. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter begins to acknowledge some very spiritually sinister things that have taken place. Starts off, but there were also false prophets among the people. Now, this links us to where we were last week that just as the prophets revealed God's word in the Old Testament and it was um, holy men being moved along to, to reveal truth now, particularly in relation to stuff in the Old Testament, as those prophets, those faithful prophets, were declaring the word of God, false prophets were among them. He starts off by talking about something that has happened in the past. While the Old Testament was being revealed to Israel, they still had to deal with these false prophets, these false teachers. Now, perhaps because it's set historically, at the first part of that sentence there, we breathe a sigh of relief of, it's done, it's done, it's happened, it's been dealt with, it's in the past. We don't really get the chance to breathe that sigh of relief because Peter goes on. From that, moves from the past tense to the present tense as well as future, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Again, in a lot of ways, we've been preparing ourselves for this section of 2 Peter by the way chapter 1 has been set up for us. Peter cares for our souls that we'll be prepared to deal with these threats well. I can't remember the, the number of times I've mentioned false teachers already being a theme in this letter. But to all of a sudden reach chapter 2 and it not just be a theme that we know is coming, but we see here in the pages of Scripture warning against false teachers, this is something that is meant to make us sit up and pay attention. We are meant to sit up and listen very, very attentively to this. There is a real threat There are real dangers. We must be equipped to handle it well. The reality presented by Peter is that there will be false teachers in the church. While we see the characteristics next week of false teachers, we can this week begin to ask the question, how will we know false teachers when we see them? You read through this, particularly verses 2 and 3. Even beginning in verse 1, destructive heresies will be brought in secretly by them. 
They will blaspheme the truth in verse 2. And verse 3, they will exhibit covetousness and exploit you with deceptive words. These are terrible things. Now maybe we read this and think Peter is just overstating it. He's not sure how much longer he has here on earth. He knows he's going to be put to death soon. So he's being as strong as he can in his language to warn people against this. Perhaps he's overstating these threats. But with the advantage of history to look back from when Peter wrote this to where we are now, as well as those things that happened in the Old Testament, we know that this is true. As a church, we have a lot of blessings that come from the creeds, the the Apostolic Creed, the Nicene Creeds, those creeds written by the early church councils. As wonderful and as much of a blessing as those things are to us, and we should be reading them and learning them and seeing what it is that we hold in common with believers through all the ages, behind the, the, the stimulus behind a lot of those being written was that there was false teaching about God. There was false teaching about the person of Christ, There was false teaching as to who the Father was. There was false teaching about the Holy Spirit. People have taught false things about God. Was Jesus really God? Maybe Jesus became God at the moment of his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. Do we really have a triune God who is three persons in one? Maybe God is sometimes a father and sometimes a son and sometimes the Holy Spirit. These are the heresies that the church has worked to stamp out. They are destructive heresies, as Peter writes here, because they portray God differently than Scripture does. They do not reveal the truth of God. They are not accurate and faithful to the words of life found in Scripture. Now, some people would ask the question, though, is it so bad to have a slightly different emphasis on God? Maybe we can just agree to disagree on those things. Why is it so bad to be inaccurate about your portrayal of someone? Why does it matter so much that Peter spends a whole chapter on this, which is very similarly mirrored in the book of Jude, by the way, dealing with this? 2 Peter 2 and Jude are very, very similar portions of Scripture. Some of you know this movie very well. The movie The Greatest Showman came out in 2017, starring Australia's very own Hugh Jackman. Great songs in it. Now, what that movie is about, it's about portraying this character called P.T. Barnum, who set up circuses and really did a lot of stuff there. It's a very entertaining movie. But you watch the movie, and the idea that you have of P.T. Barnum as you walk away from that is that this guy was just this awesome guy, he was inclusive of everyone, wonderful man all around. You look at what history has to say about him, he had a pretty different picture come out through the pages of history. 
In fact, in the movie, there's two characters who are entirely made up just to enhance this wrong view of P.T. Barnum. So why would we watch that and enjoy that and perhaps even be okay with that when all of a sudden we have problems with God being portrayed in wrong ways? Why is it okay for historical misrepresentations of P.T. Barnum but we have problems with misrepresentations of God? Maybe we're being hypocritical and creating double standards for ourselves. But I think it's okay to deal with these things separately because they are two very, very different issues. The difference is that movies are there to entertain. Movies are there to provide entertainment for us. They are not there to provide a a framework for, for healthy life or those sorts of things. They are not there to grow our spiritual state or lead us into eternal life. But when we listen to to teachers in the church, we should be listening to teachers in the church out of a desire and a real hunger for the spiritual realities of God to be made more and more clear. That we might see the glory of God in the best ways that we possibly can. To do exactly what Peter wants us to do all through this letter, to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. When it comes to misrepresenting God, the Apostle Peter said to Christ, where else would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We can go nowhere else for truth than God's word. And the source of that truth, as we read last week in verses 19 to 21, is God himself. We cannot misrepresent this because this is spiritual life and vitality on the line. The consequences of not having that is eternal destruction. Peter is 100% on the money when he calls these things in verse 1 that are brought in secretly to the church destructive heresies. They are destructive because they place our souls at risk. We need to be careful about what we watch, but a movie made for children like The Greatest Showman is not going to place your soul at eternal risk. There is a difference in the matter that we are discussing there. But this is no small thing for these destructive heresies, absolutely wrong, just diametrically opposed uh, things to what Scripture says being brought into the church. These things have carry the potential. They carry the potential to result in some people not seeing the glory of God because they get caught up in this wrongness, this, this, this spiritual filth. As we look at this passage, I hope and pray that, that, that my teaching has been faithful. But I want to say this is not something where even if my teaching has been faithful, we can say, that just happens over there, but we're okay here. We have to keep searching scripture because these things sneak in we have to keep evaluating where we are in light of scripture we cannot stray from scripture 
a few years ago, a group called Monogism put on their website a list of, of modern-day false teachers. I think it was around 2017, 2018 this list was released. And reading through this list of names made me realise how often I'd seen these names come up either in conversation or just church life in general. Names like Rob Bell, who denies help. John Hagee, who I mentioned last week, is that one who woefully misread scripture and the prophecy in Joel 2.31. Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Jen Hatmaker and Stacks Moore. Now, if you want to find out more about that list and why they are classified as false teachers, the group called Wretched TV, which uh, Todd Friel, a Baptist guy in America, is part of, a Reformed Baptist guy, they did a very good job analysing that. So if you want to find out more about that this week, have a look. But all of the names that were on that list were, they were high profile. They had large audiences. It was scary to read that so many people could be affected by false teaching in that way. Perhaps people that we have listened to sermons of during the week to supplement our spiritual diet. See, it's not just an out-there problem, it's a church universal problem that we need to be aware of. Peter's warning of false teachers secretly entering the church for their destructive heresies is one that we absolutely have to take seriously. This threat of false teachers is one where people, there's an attempt to draw people away from God. And that is a threat that we and our friends and our families still face today. Verse 3, greed is a huge motivator behind this exploitation of the children of God. We must be wise and know the word of God so that we can combat false teachings the way Jesus did when he was tempted. Remember those 40 days in the wilderness? At the end of it, he hadn't eaten, hadn't drunk for that time. Satan tempted him. How did Jesus respond with the words of Scripture? That is how we have to equip ourselves to face these things. There is no better defense against the reality of false teachers than the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Part of that is reproof, that we can push away, we can prove against false teaching. We need this defense because there are false teachers in the church. And we look at our second point, we see the judgment for straying. Now, one question that comes up when this topic of false teachers is inside the church, and remember, this is inside, not outside the church. There's some questions that emerge are along the lines of, how can God allow this to happen? Does God not care about his people? And if he's called us out of darkness into his kingdom, and this is happening within the visible confines of his kingdom, why are we not secure there? Does God really care? And the answer is that God really does care. God has eternally secured us in him. We've seen that through chapter 1 of this letter. And it's because God cares. It is because God cares that we see in this text cases of God's judgment. 
either historically referenced or a promise of coming judgment for those who teach and live things other than the word of God. Remember again verse 1, these people bring, secretly bring destructive uh, uh, doctrines into the church. Peter says that the, the destruction will be swift. The destruction will be swift. Now maybe we look at that word swift and wonder, is it really swift? Maybe it's been a while. The word swift here we perhaps misunderstand. Some people think it's about the timing. They won't be able to do it for long. I think what Peter's saying here with the swiftness of their judgment is that once that judgment comes, it will be sudden, it will be unavoidable. There will be no dodging this from false teachers. And sadly from those who follow. There will be no ducking, there will be no weaving. We are assured that this will happen. God's word given to us by holy men, moved by the Holy Spirit, tell us this is going to happen. We can bank on this truth. God will see that justice is meted out to those who are deserving of justice. This judgment will be terrible. And the thought of judgment should make us take time to be thankful and to appreciate more and more the grace that God has shown to us. If it were not for the washing clean of our sins by the work that Christ did on the cross of Calvary, then we'd be facing this same eternal judgment too, having bought into all manner of teaching and living that was just so far removed from God's words of life. The consequences for falling away from God are severe and the consequences for teaching contrary to God's word is even more severe. God punished the angels who sinned by casting them into hell and reserving them in chains of darkness. The sin that was so prevalent at the time of Noah was punished by a global flood where eight people on the face of the whole earth survived. Peter says in verse 6 that the event of God pouring fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah is to serve as an example of what will happen to the ungodly of those who are not with God. The threat of false teachers is not only to false teachers themselves, but also of the fruit that they produce. They do not produce godliness no matter what appearance they might put on. And they produce followers who will perpetuate their teaching and fall further and further away from the Lord. It happens so easily and so often. In 2011, I started a ministry traineeship. It was an opportunity to dip my toe into the water of what church ministry looked like and a bit of a stepping stone into Bible college. Before I started that, my dad gave me a book to read called The Other Side of the River by Philip Yancey. Dad said that before I did anything ministry-related, I had to read this book. And I'm incredibly thankful I did. Now, the reason I read that book was Philip Yancey outlines how he was worshipping at a church that we call today probably an emerging church, where the doctrine was very hard to nail down. What they actually believed was very, very difficult to figure out, but they claimed it came from the Bible. Now, at this church, they gradually, 
just minutely, little by little by little, introduce things that were further and further away from God's word. Philip Yancey said, over the years he was there, years he was there, he didn't realise that this was happening. But then this big event, church event was called for, made him stop and realise, this is not the church I joined. And he looked back over those years and realised that those secret, destructive doctrines had led the church to looking absolutely nothing like a church and more like what the Confession of Faith in chapter 25 would describe as a synagogue of Satan. New people going to that church never heard the words of God preached. They heard motivational speeches. It was nice. It was well packaged. The music was fantastic. The light show was appreciated by the young people. They assumed that they were Christians because they called themselves a church, but there was no gospel, there was no cross, there was no mention of sin, and there was no mention of our need for salvation from sin. Now again, I don't think that's us here. I pray that it's not us here. But this passage, seeing the, the, the clarity of the fact that there is destruction, both for false teachers and those who follow them, should reawaken and continue to reawaken as we study this any awareness we've lost about checking things against Scripture. If that alertness has stayed on, praise God that His Spirit has allowed us to be alert and pray that that would continue. Now, the third point, we ask this question, what about the righteous? Because you look at Sodom, you look at Gomorrah, and you've got righteous lot in the middle of all that filth and uncleanness. It is entirely possible that there are people sitting under false teachers who do genuinely have a saving faith and are righteous in the eyes of God. It's not encouraged to sit there, it's not wise to sit there, but it's entirely possible. What about the righteous? Now, it can be very easy to become despondent when we look at the reality of these passages. If for no other reason than a deep, heartfelt desire to avoid the severity of destruction coming for those who deny Christ, the the, the one who who paid the price to free us from sin, to, to give us life, we should want no part of false teachings. We should be horrified that these things happen at all. We certainly shouldn't want to become false teachers by passing on to friends or colleagues or families or informal teaching capacities any mistruths regarding God. James 3 says in verse 1 that teachers will be judged with a greater degree of strictness. How do we avoid this destruction? And what about the righteous? How can we be sure we can avoid this destruction? The, the list on monogism was, it was long, but it was far from complete. There's guys on that list who I've listened to snippets of their work, sometimes being aware that they were false teachers, sometimes being unaware at first of what they were actually saying. Maybe. Maybe I've listened to false teachers without knowing it. 
what certainty do we have in our safety in the church as God's children? How do you know I'm not going to lead you astray? Well, next week again, we'll look at characteristics of false teachers that we need to be cautious of. I'm going to say again something I've already said at least twice this morning. Confirm what you were taught against Scripture. If there is any indication that someone is in ministry for greed, or as we see at the start of Philippians, proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition, be wary of that. But at the end of the day, we can never give our ultimate trust to any teacher. We give our ultimate trust to God's ultimate authority, which is his word. There may be times where we feel as if all around us is just rot taking place, even in the church. But be encouraged because God's hand of protection is upon those who he has redeemed for himself. See, Peter mentions the flood. It wiped out the entirety of the human race except except for Noah who was a preacher of righteousness and his seven other family members. Sodom and Gomorrah. And all those places, the inhabitants of the plains, completely destroyed because of their sins, except for Lot and his wife and his two daughters who were taken out of that. If Lot's wife had not looked back, she would have lived beyond it. Lot, whose soul was tormented in those places. Romans chapter 3 tells us that no one can deny the existence of God. Before we were saved, we tried to very, very hard. And in the world, there are still people who try very, very hard to deny the existence of God. We can't deny it. It's a truth made clear to all men. And you look at Scripture, an even clearer revelation of God to man than even what we see in creation. There is serious judgment from those who deny it. But for those of us who remain faithful, God will protect us from judgment. We should be wise and cautious and avoid false teachers. We need to have a healthy spiritual diet. We cannot just take in that spiritual junk food and think that everything's going to be groovy. It won't. There are serious, serious spiritual risks associated with that. So God saved Noah and his family. God saved Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And Peter goes on. Peter goes on in verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Again, judgment for the unjust, but deliverance 
for those who love the Lord. God knows and God has proven he can over and over again remove the godly from temptation. We should be cautious, but this passage also gives us incredible, incredible comfort in God. Because of what he has done for us and because of what he has done in us, we no longer indulge ourselves in the lust of defiling flesh like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah did. We no longer despise authority. We no longer stray from him because he keeps us close. When we read this, when we read this, be encouraged. Be comforted. If by the the work of the Spirit in our lives, we love the authority of God over all things and we humbly submit to him, then we are safe because he knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials. Again, we do need to be wary, but that wariness should lead us straight back to God, to God who reveals himself to us in Scripture. That is our best defense against the barrage of false teachers we face. And it's our best defense because the Spirit helps us understand it more and more. It is God's word, it is immoving, it is truth itself. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this heavy but also comforting portion of your word in 2 Peter. We pray, O God, that across the world you would protect your people from destructive doctrines, from false teachers and the doom that accompanies them. We pray that you would remove the godly from the temptations they face in these things and in all things. And we pray for us as a church here. We pray that we might lean on your word more and more every day. That when we hear these things that we know are not according to your word, that we might be equipped through your word to give rebuttal to it. That we might hold to your